Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Rebecca Gauthier, and I'm one of the producers of the Women's Wellness Conference, which is happening in Orange County Friday, September 19th through Sunday, September 21st at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa. I'm here with the lovely Nadine Artemis. She's an author, a beauty expert, a mom, and one of our big crowd favorites at all our events. She's going to be taking the stage once again during our third Women's Wellness Conference. Welcome, Nadine. It's such a pleasure to have you today. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Nadine's the co-founder of Living Libations and has built her life's work around the concept of renegade beauty using only the purest botanicals in all her products. And today what I'd like to do is spend a little bit of time with you talking about a substance that I think is incredibly important for health and beauty, and that's something you know quite a bit about, and the substance is calendula. So if we could go ahead and start by having you talk a little bit about what calendula is and its incredible history. Calendula is a beautiful botanical, and it's, uh, well, I'd like to say it's one of my favorites, but I really have so many, it's kind of ridiculous. But calendula is also known as marigold, and its Latin name is calendula officinalis. And this plant provides a powerful cocktail of ingredients for skincare in like application and as well as things that can go on internally that may require some anti-inflammatory activity. Calendula is, uh, has been around since ancient times. Uh, the history is a bit hard. It's hard to get uh, full clarification on it. Some say that it was used by the Aztecs used as part of their sun culture and as a medicinal plant there. And then the Spanish brought it back to Spain and was used um, in the monasteries. And from there, it went throughout Europe, Africa, and then, of course, was eventually brought over to North America. Um, And then other people uh, find the use of it in ancient Egyptian culture as well. So it's been around for, for thousands of years. And actually, it is named after, um, it's got a root in the word calendia, which means calendar. And that is thought because of its ability to flower throughout the year. And then its Latin name is calendula officinalis. And um, normally when the word officinalis is used in a plant name, it does mean that the plant has been granted. It's grant That officinalis word is granted to plants that have a particular medicinal value. And then its other common name is Mary's gold, which is said to be named after the Virgin Mary's glowing halo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it's this beautiful. I'm sure many are familiar with it, and many people might have pot marigold in their gardens, which this is the, the marigold. This is the calendula officinalis that we're speaking of. It's a beautiful, bright, sort of round, um, sunny, sunny flower, and it enjoys full time in the sun. It wants lots of sun. And this also, um, in sort of its less quantitative benefits, this sunny personality of calendula um, leads into some of its medicinal benefits because it is said that it has a sunny disposition and its energetics are clearing and drying. It can be used similarly to something like St. St. John's wort for uplifting moods and depression and that kind of thing, but it, it could be like a different alternative for some people. So it's this really bright plant, and it's got a ton of bioactive botanical components. I find calendula is an indispensable tool, 
and I use it for everything from diaper rash to scratches to, to bites, even, uh, you know, if my daughter has ever gotten a sore throat. Everyone should know about it, and I'm actually surprised that many people don't. If we could talk a little bit about those properties and how they're best utilized, that would be great. Yeah, and I thought before we go into properties, let's t- take a look at how, like, the ways it can be used. So we've got the flower itself. And if you're growing it in the garden, um, hopefully it will be organic. And you can use the petals in um, – they can be eaten raw or they can be put into things that are steamed or soups or savories. It can be used in those ways. And some people refer to it as a poor person's saffron in the sense that saffron can be quite expensive. Um, but calendula used in um, dishes can give it that beautiful orange color. And it's that orange, as we know from a lot of what David Wolf talks about, too. It's when we eat sort of this rainbow diet and we're eating plants rich in pigments that we understand that's of benefit to us, like the carotenoids in it and that kind of thing. But back to how we can use it. So there's the flowers itself. And then in a herbs shop or where you can get herbs, you can get the dried flowers. And that can be used to make teas. So you would just do, you know, your normal method of making a big pot of tea. I like the jar method where you're putting a few ounces of the raw material at the bottom of a mason jar, and then you pour almost boiling water over that. You put a cap on the jar, like a 16-ounce mason jar, and then you let that steep overnight. Or you can let it steep in the sun, and that's a great way to make a tea. So from the tea, you can drink it. Uh, you can also use that as an eye wash for different, like, conjectivitis and those kind of things. You can also use that as a, as a, after you've shampooed, washed your hair, you can use that as a hair tonic. You can soak a face cloth and you can put that over your face for its, um, antiseptic and anti-inflammatory properties. Or you can make a really strong tea. Uh, again, that whole mason jar that you've made, that can go into the bath. So that's like making a bath tea or different um, ways of using the tea. Then there's also the tincture, which, again, you could make with your classic way of making a herbal tincture using um, alcohol, like an organic brandy, and making a tincture of the dried flowers. Then, and the, uh, But you can also find those pretty uh, in most health food stores, and you can get a good quality quite easily. Then the other area where it gets a little more complex is when we're talking about calendula extracts or infusions. So traditionally, a herbalist or in ancient times, they'd make an infusion of the flowers in an oil, like organic olive oil. And you would let that steep for a month. Um, you would want to make sure the flowers were dried. And if you were using fresh flowers, you have to make sure there's no water content in the flowers. So you let it steep in the sun, you turn it. And that's how you would make a herbal infusion of the calendula flowers. And that you could then add to an ointment. And you can make things from that. Or you can just apply, you can strain out the flowers and then apply that to the body. So that is good as long as you're, and if you're buying something like that, then do make sure it's only the flowers that have been infused in golden jojoba or organic olive oil. I wouldn't get anything that's been done with almond or grapeseed or anything like that because the quality isn't as good and those oils go rancid very, very quickly. The other thing that you want to look out for is in a lot of skincare products, you might see something and it may even have the word organic, but it could be something like calendula officinalis extract listed on the label and that's not the same as an infusion that usually is a a water or an aqueous extract and what's when that is bought as a raw material in the cosmetics industry it has with it the addition of glycerin and it's preserved with potassium sorbate and sodium benzoate 
So, and those aren't going to be listed on that bottle of cream or lotion. So um, you want to avoid that, which is tricky because I know it's organic calendula fish oils extract. That sounds fine, right? If that was on the label, but you want to know that those hidden preservatives are in there. Sodium benzoate can be, you know, it's used as a preservative, but what they've discovered is that when you mix that, like if you're just taking vitamin C or you have vitamin C in your diet, then when that mixes with sodium benzoate, it forms benzene, which is a known carcinogen. So that's something you want to avoid. Um, now, the essential oil, as in the steamed, steam distilled extract of calendula, is pretty hard to make because the plant is so thick in resins and waxes. So it doesn't make quite an essential oil, but there are essential oils in it. And then luckily, what I've been working with since 1990, it luckily came into my life, is the supercritical extract of calendula. And why I love the super extract of, uh, the supercritical extract of calendula is that it's way, like, it's hundreds of times more potent than the infused calendula that's been traditionally done because it contains the essential oil essences, which are quite volatile. And it also is thick with the resins and the waxes, which are very important. And it's also the most concentrated version of calendula that is high in flavonoids, which I'm sure Dave Wolf talked about a lot, which are plant-based antioxidants. They're also antimicrobial, antihistamine, anti-inflammatory. We're beginning to see sort of why these biochemical compounds, like why was the plant used for diaper rashes for centuries? And now we're getting sort of the scientific data that backs that up. So it's also the CO2 extract, really, which is CO2 extract means supercritical extract. It's also high in carotenoids, which are free radical scavengers. And that comes from the very colorful antioxidant pigments that are in calendula the co2 extract is like um is like a brown thick liquid and when you add it to ointments and different things it it is becomes this glowing orange which also speaks to its sunny quality the co2 extract also has glycosides of quercetin sesquiterpenes triterpenes and phytosterols which are all just big words, but they just mean good things. And phytosterols, for example, are photoprotective, anti-aging, and wound healing. And photoprotective means it's protecting from the sun. So it's really great to add to a body oil for after sun. So I think when we can see sort of the science behind it, we can see why historically it's been used to treat inflammatory conditions internally and externally. Um, it's been able to give the lymph a, a boost. And, it, of course, it's been so popular for topical conditions, like you mentioned, like diaper rash or even from hemorrhoids to eczema. I also wanted to give a little short, easy recipe if people wanted to make their own ointment. You, you know, you have one that you have formulated from your company, Living Libations, and it's available through Living Libations and also at Longevity Warehouse. So, yeah, it would be wonderful for you to share that recipe. Yeah, it's also known in herbal in herbalist language as a vulnerary, which means it speeds up wound healing. Um, so it's awesome. Um, so what you would do is just take, um, to make a simple ointment, is you would take four ounces or 120 milliliters of raw organic olive oil. I love the rawest olive oil that you have uh, through Longevity Warehouse. That's my favorite one. And then you would take 80 drops or four milliliters of the calendula CO2 extract. 
And then you could add 20 drops of another favorite essential oil like frankincense, lavender, or sea buckthorn. And then just half an ounce of organic beeswax. And if everybody's familiar with the double boiler method, that means you boil water in a pot and you have another one on top with water and you melt down the beeswax. And then you pour in your oils and then you let that melt together, shake it up, and then just pop it in the fridge. And in a few hours, you will have your ointment. So put that in a glass jar, jar and you can use that for all the little cuts and bites and bruises and things like that. That's great. Can you talk a little bit about how some of the other oils that you mentioned, like frankincense, lavender, sea buckthorn, synergistically work with calendula? Yeah, they're great with it because um, I always feel like you can – the, the plants intermingle so well, and then you, when you've joined them, you get something that's greater than the sum of its parts. And so frankincense is a great wound healer. It's um, great for softening keloids and scar tissue, and so is lavender. They're also anti-inflammatory, rich in um, monoterpenes, and um, they're antiseptic as well. So all these things together, I mean, even beeswax has antiseptic properties. So this is all good for healing wounds and cuts and bruises. Um, calendula is also good for bruised areas as well. Can you talk a little bit about collagen? It's a big thing with women with beauty care, anti-aging, and how calendula can assist in collagen growth. Yeah, so it's great, again, transdermally, because we always want to think of like, uh, I know we think of our skin as external, but whatever we apply to it goes into our body. And so when we apply great things to it, then we're putting great things into our body. And um, of course, everything is happening on the surface level, but then things like essential oils and the extracts of calendula go deeper into the subcutaneous layers and they help to generate new skin cells and they also um, help to generate collagen. And one of the reasons why calendula is good at generating collagen is because it can ta- it, it inhibits the there's these negative enzymes in the body that uh, break down collagenase and elastin in the skin and so it prevents these enzymes from doing that which is one way to boost your collagen is to not have it break down in the first place and then it um, combined with aloe vera and lavender is also really great for boosting collagen production in the body um, and a low, again, we're working with, when you're working with the, the, there's so many plants that do different things, but there's a huge group of plants that are like just general tonic. You know, they're not, um, they're very safe to use. They're, they're not into like doing heavy duty things, but they're really there to like take care and maintain elasticity in the skin. And they, they speak and communicate to the cells. I mean, again, we, we have, you know, biologically evolved with plants alongside us. And there's these bioactive chemicals in plants that work so synergistically with our bodies and ourselves. And when we think about anti-aging and beauty and skin care, I mean, I just think there's nothing finer available to us than working with the bioactive substance of botanicals. And I think when we compare that to what is sold in bottles these days, which is basically a lot of petroleum byproducts and extracts, it always just keeps me dumbfounded because I'm like, here we have this rich 
rich offering from the plant world, which we only find out with every given year, just more and more benefits and these juicy substances that they're able to provide and gift us um, alongside just, you know, byproducts of petroleum. And anyway, I think ultimately we'll find out which one's more effective. So aloe, again, it, it boosts collagen. It's cooling. It's anti-inflammatory. You know, I think, and David speaks about this a lot too, is that really most disease and illness is, is some kind of inflammatory reaction somewhere in the body. It's either systemic or localized. And so what things like aloe, lavender, frankincense, calendula do is they deal with the inflammatory issues because once inflammation kicks in, um, you know, that's when things start to have sort of an en- entropy or they decay a bit. And so the inflammation is either coming in as a temporary response, like to a cut knee or, you know, something like a bruise, or it's more systemic and it's long term. And so the plants can help address that. So can we just go back and touch on something that I think you said that is very important uh how in the in, in the beauty industry there's a lot of products being sold that actually cause aging and are the opposite of the effect that people want who are purchasing these products and could you just give us a quick like how to read a label 101 because <laughs> there's yeah. so many things you've already mentioned that that you know they say it's organic and calendula extract and it sounds like it's going to be really beneficial when actually what's lurking within there is what you already described. So if you could just give us some basic tips on how to read a label, like how many ingredients should be appearing on a label if something is genuinely pure and chemical free? Yeah, I think there's sort of the obvious or, you know, more obvious to me and probably people that are listening of like something that's like very commercial bought in a drugstore and the list of ingredients on there, which are hardly readable and pronounceable, like, uh, Mm -hmm like steroid and I, I, the names escape me right now because they're not even really part of my life, but all those crazy, crazy big words that when you look them up, you're just like, oh my God, you know, like um, mm-hmm. triclosan, sodium lauryl sulfate, all these things that really don't belong on the planet or in our bodies, that's for sure. Um, but where I find it's more tricky is when there's these green products or the aisles in the health food store and that beauty care section where, you know, mm-hmm. It looks lovely. There's a lovely picture of lavender on the cover and you're reading some of the words and it kind of sounds familiar, but then you've got words like fragrance, perfume, perfume, like perfume without the E. That one ingredient can have up to a thousand different chemicals. And then it gets tricky because we have the Latin binomials, which are the Latin names of plants, which are um, what is used. And those can sometimes seem unpronounceable or fancy like um, sandalwood could be santalum album, which, uh, so you have to sort of tell the difference between like the Latin name and then something that's totally like of a modern synthetic chemical. Um, but where the, there's sort of these tricks of the trade in the green industry are things like, um, you know, it could be a certified organic product, product but um, the amount of organic ingredients in that bottle, it only has to be 70 to 80% organic. And then the rest can be like, you can have methylparaben, fragrance, perfume, which are making up much smaller uh, or even minuscule amounts of a formula like methylparaben. Um, you only would ever use 0.01% anyway. Um, not that you want to be using it, but you know what I mean? It's a minuscule thing anyway, and that can still be in an organic product. Or the first ingredient could be, Aqueous extract of aloe and what, the, or aqueous extract of 
chamomile or lavender, and it might have the Latin name. And that sounds good, too, because aqueous is water, so it's a water extract. But what that is is basically a tea, like we described making the calendula. So it's a water-based extract, and then that needs to be preserved further. And those preservers may not be on the ingredient list. And then sometimes why that's the first ingredient is because in some formulations, like water, I mean, like a lotion, a lotion could be 60 to 70% water and then the rest oil and other things. So if you've got the aqueous extract of lavender in there, that could be pretty much your whole, if you're using organic lavender flowers, that could get you your organic certification. And then the rest could go downhill from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, and, and then there's some great herbal sounding extracts, but those have secondary preservatives that are not mentioned on the label. So, yeah, you really got to read the labels and, and not get caught up in the marketing schemes. And Tara Warner, who I know is a great friend of yours, is she's going, she's actually going to be covering that topic at the Women's Wellness Conference, how uh, to not be duped by the beauty industry. So it's one of the reasons awesome. why I'm bringing up on the call, yeah, here today, because, uh, you know, the, the marketing is so, it's strategic and targets women who really want beauty from the inside out, yet they're investing in their, they're investing their money in products that actually cause aging. So I think learning how to read labels is very important and then making sure that what you do purchase is pure. Make sure you get what you're paying for. And so that's why for me it's been such a gift to come into contact with your product line because I have 100% confidence that it is pure, it is natural, it is completely chemical-free uh, you know, I think really important for those of you listening to find a company that you trust, that you know what is in their product, that they're not trying to hide anything or mis- mislabeling or allowing chemicals to lurk in their products and not have to label because that's possible. And and just be confident in what you're putting on your skin because it's the largest eliminative organ and everything that goes on the skin is going in your body. So. Thank you, Nadine, Absolutely. for uh, clarifying this really important topic that, like I said, Tara Warner is going to go into in much more depth during the Women's Wellness Conference. So getting back to calendula, for those people who have an interest, uh, based on my research, I understand that it's a, it's a really great flower to actually grow in your garden. How would someone who wanted to start growing their own calendula go about doing this? Yeah, it's easy. We have it growing in our garden all the time. And you can work with the heirloom seeds or you can buy little starter plants at a nursery. And then you would plant them after the first frost. I mean, after all the frost is finished and give them lots of sunlight. And for those that are in like air really more wild areas or you want to deter deers, and different critters, you can surround different plants with the calendula because the, the scent is so strong that they uh, don't go to those areas. So they're a good repellent of animals that you don't want nibbling your lettuce. What do you have growing besides calendula in your garden? Oh, my. Just out of curiosity. Yeah. We just found this. We've got this hibiscus blooming, which we're pretty excited about because we live so far north. But there's a it was a hardier variety. And then we've got you know, all the herbs, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, and on and on, and collard greens, and kale, and fennel, and dill, and then we've got some fun 
fruit trees that we planted, like cherries and peach and plum and kiwi berries. Um, we're just trying to grow whatever we can up in this uh, Canadian climate. Okay, so let's talk about Women's Wellness Conference. It's coming up soon. It's right around the corner. And can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek into what you're going to be covering there? Well, I'm so excited because it is the Women's Wellness Conference. So I thought, what a great time to cover and go into talking about the Lady Garden, uh, which is going to be all about sustaining vaginal health. Um, with the, that area, which I like to call the Yoni, uh, it's really like, it's a gateway and it's not a repository, which is sometimes culturally how we've been thinking about it. And, um, I'll just be covering how we can tend to these petals with reverence, going into things like how the $13 billion industry of feminine hygiene products contri- has contributed to disease and disharmony. Um, it was uh, just a few decades ago that women were advised to douche with Lysol, the same Lysol that we have today. Um, so we'll talk about what common practices cause cervical cells to shrivel, uh, protocols for treating things from like cervical dysplasia, yeast infections, just general inflammation, things like vulvodynia. And then how we can really boost our own natural lubricating fluids and preserve a really healthy environment for this very sacred gateway into our bodies. You know, we have an incredible lineup of speakers this year for the Women's Wellness Conference. Who are you particularly excited about hearing? Uh, it's all going to be great. But I think one, the one person I'm really looking forward to is Marianne Williamson, having yeah. her speak. I mean, I just, I saw her after the last conference, the longevity conference, we were in California for a bit. So I was able to um, attend some of her live talks. And this woman is just so uh, authentic and deeply gifted in her ability to communicate. And uh, she's so inspiring. And she's definitely uh, a woman of integrity and one of my heroes. You know, it's just such an incredible lineup this year, and and I'm so thrilled to once again um, have the honor to emcee it again. And, of course, it's hosted by David Wolf, who's going to be sharing a lot of the information from his upcoming book dedicated to uh, pigment in food, which you mentioned earlier. And then Mm. there's going to be Dr. Bruce Lipton there, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, uh, you know, Dr. William Sears who's authored 30 books on uh, child care. So I think this lineup is going to be our strongest, and, and we're so fortunate to have you come back and speak on our stage once again. I think you're, you are the only speaker other than Dave in our entire history of doing events that has spoken at every single conference at this point. That's correct, right? right. <laughs> I'm totally You honest. and David Wolf. You and David Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> so Nadine is a staple at our stage, and she's going to be joining us again. Those dates are Friday, September 19th through Sunday, September 21st at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all at the conference. Join hundreds of longevity enthusiasts from all around the world. Nadine, we have people coming from where you're from, Canada, of course, the United <laughs> States. Uh, we have someone coming from Kazakhstan, people from Europe, people from Mexico, uh, parts of South America. It's going to be a really diverse crowd of women and guys, too. Guys are 
coming, and it's going to just be another fabulous, successful event. And I, I can't wait to see you, and I can't wait uh, to get together with all these like-minded individuals and have some really compelling conversations surrounding alternative health and wellness. Yeah, it's going to rock. <laughs> so thank you so much for all your time. And if there's just one or two tips that you want to leave our listeners with on um, how to use calendula so it's something they integrate easily into their daily routine, what would those be? You could simply start with the teas from the dried flowers because um, there's so many uses for that, and it really does make a beautiful cup of tea. It's really high in resins. So I would start with that and then just growing some in your garden and sprinkling it on your food, getting some of that flower power. 